Welcome to the Fraudian Slip, the Identity Theft Resource Center's podcast where we talk about all things identity compromise, crime, and fraud, including the impact identity issues have on people and businesses. I'm James Lee, the COO of the ITRC. Today, we're focusing on the data breach and identity-related fraud trend so far in 2020. This is the 15th year the ITRC has tracked publicly reported data breaches in the United States. For the most part of that time, the number of cyber attacks and the number of data breaches tracked, almost but not quite in unison. Two other trend lines, the number of stolen records and the number of people impacted by data compromises, stayed pretty much in sync for the first two trend lines as well. Then, in 2016, the lines began to diverge. Cyber attacks accelerated, data breaches peaked the next year in 2017, and the number of stolen records grew exponentially along with the number of people impacted. From 2015 to 2018, the number of individuals impacted on an annual basis grew by a factor of seven. One of the significant trends we've seen so far in 2020 is the shift by cyber criminals away from primarily stealing highly personal consumer information to using the data they've already stolen. Independent research shows cyber attacks are up as much as 40% so far this year. Yet, the latest ITRC breach analysis shows data breaches involving personal information are down 30% year over year. The number of people impacted is down 60% so far in 2020. While ID compromises and the number of people impacted by them are down, ID-related cyber attacks have exploded. Ransomware, phishing schemes, and credential stuffing attacks make up the vast majority of the cyber attacks that lead to breaches, and the common denominator is they require identity information. Among those attacks are cyber criminals hijacking the unemployment benefits of people who may or may not be unemployed. The U.S. Secret Service and the Department of Labor this week estimated more than $8 billion in unemployment claims are fraudulent, many, if not most, using stolen identity credentials as part of the scam. One person who has firsthand experience with the issue is Crystal Sargent, a marketing and communications executive who now serves on the ITRC board, and she joins us today. You know, thanks for joining us today. Um... When did you discover someone was misusing your personal information to claim unemployment benefits, and how did that happen? Uh, I found out three days after I put my home on the market in San Diego, and uh, you know we were really excited about getting on the MLS listing, and we just keep going to the computer like when is it going to catch on uh, Realtor.com or when is it going to catch on Trulia? You know, like all of the aggregator sites. And the first time that we saw our home as a new listing, um, our house was first, right? So everybody had a chance to see it. And then unfortunately, like three days later, once it hit those aggregator sites, um, all of this EDD mail started showing up in our mailbox. And the EDD is the employment division in California. That the, I think it's the economic development um, department. So yes. Uh, essentially, where you know the where people go for to for their unemployment claims. Yeah, that had to be a little odd for you, because you weren't applying for uh, for unemployment benefits, and and what you the mail you're receiving wasn't even in your name, but it was your address. Is that correct? It was not in my name. Uh, it was sent to our uh, mailbox, 
And the first day, I just thought it was odd. But naturally, um, in this day and age, you know there's some sort of fraud happening when you get 12 pieces of mail. 12. 12. Yeah, it was about 12 on day one. Uh, All to different people, so 12 different individuals coming from out-of-region locations. So some would come from Buena Vista, some would come from Oakland, some would uh, were from Los Angeles, and all different areas within, you know, kind of like EDD operations. Some came from the overpayment department, um, meaning someone was overpaid benefits and they were looking for this person. Um, and it looked seemed like some others, uh, they were just starting um, their process for unemployment benefits, right? And you can just kind of tell from the window in the envelope. Now you said the first day. So that that leads me to believe that there was a second day. There was a second day. And if on the first day we got 12, I think on the set, set, second day, we probably got about 17 pieces of mail. Day one, you know, we did a couple of steps in terms of returning the mail to the post office. We wrote fraud on each one of those envelopes and also wrote, you know, no one by that name has ever lived here. But by the time day two rolled around and we got so much more mail, you know, we just became a little bit more concerned. And, you know, the other piece was I couldn't go run into the post office every day. And by the time day three rolled around with probably 25 pieces of mail, our postal carrier knocked on the door. So the, 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 the post office came to you. You didn't have to go to them beyond what you'd written on the envelopes. We had good relations. We always chatted it up with our postal carrier and we had lived there for eight years. So, you know, he was very familiar with who he delivers mail to. And he just inquired, um, he just wanted to make sure nobody by that name had ever lived here or those names. And he said, well, what do you think happened? And I said, you know, the only thing I can intuit is we put our house um, on the market to be sold. And that was the triggering event that led to all of this EDD fraud on our mailing address. And that's actually a trend we have seen at the ITRC across the country where uh, people who are perpetrating these kind of mass unemployment benefit fraud is they look for pieces of data they can use. And your address is a piece of your identity. It's a piece of your data. When houses go on the market, there's a fair number of them that are vacant, right? Mm -hmm. And so if no one lived in the home, mail could just keep continuing to go to that address Um, with no one there to do some sort of um, validation like my husband and I did. And luckily, we had a nice long relationship and good rapport with our postal carrier. So we were were able to engage in dialogue with him. Um, And, you know, that's when he shared that other houses that were for sale in our neighborhood were experiencing a similar circumstance just not to the degree in terms of the number of letters that other homes were receiving compared to ours. Have the cards stopped coming now? Um, And how did you ultimately resolve this situation? The fraudster 
actually stopped the postal carrier. And he said, hey, I just got evicted from this address. Can I get my mail? Not realizing that the postal carrier knows who lives in the neighborhood. And the postal carrier wrote down their um, license plate number. And I was able to give that license plate number to the police department um, and let them handle their piece of it. And so for my family, it ultimately came to a conclusion because we closed in our home um, and we went on about our way. But, you know, you really, if you play this out and you think about it, there are new homeowners who are in that home now who have no idea about what has transpired. At the end of the day, uh, what what did you learn from this incident about your own identity information and how you manage it? And, and what, what did you learn overall about how fragile identity is or, or is not? Um, for our new home, when I went to get set up for gas and electric and I put in my social security number, they wouldn't let me, and what I forgot is I had put my credit on, um, I had put a freeze on my credit. So that was a piece of the process I hadn't even begun to think about um, in this transition and transaction. But what I already knew was the need to protect and safeguard at minimum my credit rating, which I had worked so long um, you know, to have a great credit history. One of the very first things we advise people to do always is freeze your credit. And that's one of the, sh- the, the best ways to ensure that your personal information is not misused to open up a new account. You know, there are other things you have to do to talk to protect existing accounts, but um, to ensure no one opens up information in your name, um, credit freeze is is the best way. And now we will also add things like two-factor authentication because most people are using their accounts on mobile devices. Um, You may not have a desktop computer, but almost everyone has a mobile phone now. So, you know, we always advise the the two-factor authentication and strong passwords make a big difference. And one of the ways this fraud is being perpetrated is the fact that people, um, use the same password for multiple accounts. So in these data breaches we've seen over the last few years, one of the things that the, the, the bad guys were doing is they were stealing logins and passwords. And we used to think, well, that's not valuable. Why would anybody want my login and password? They're, they're, they're just going to see the spam mail I get. Well, the bad guys know that you're going to use that login and password multiple places. And one of them may be at work. One of them may be your bank account. One of them may be, with the state of fill in the blank, where when the time comes, they can open up an account in your name because they have your personal information. Or if you already have an account, they can use that login and password that they either stole directly from you or bought from some other identity thief. So, you know, there are a lot of things people can do to protect themselves, but it starts with that credit freeze adding two-factor authentication, having one unique and strong password per account. That goes a long way to people being able to protect their information. Crystal, thank you for sharing all that information with us today. I'm sure we've learned a lot from that. You can learn how to protect yourself from identity fraud, crimes, and compromises by visiting our website at idtheftcenter.org, where you can also read more about the latest breach data trends. 
If you think you're the victim of an identity crime or your identity has been compromised, you can call us, chat live online, or send an email, or you can leave a voicemail for an expert advisor to get advice on how to respond. Just visit that website to get started. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep your data safe.